Hello listeners, just before we go into today's podcast, just leaving you know that the podcast is now on YouTube. The link is in the show notes below. So yeah, pop over there if you want and I hope you enjoyed the show. Five, four, three, two, one, we're live. Anthony Cummings, how are you? I'm very well, thank you Andrew. Thank you for inviting us in today. No, it's great to have you in. So let's start from... I suppose the company background tell us about your background and the company background for Honeypot is very interesting things you're doing so if you give us a good summary yes with pleasure I'll do my background extremely fast uh, yeah so I, I trained in Glasgow as an accountant and uh, I was helping as a, on a pro bono basis uh, as a trustee for a, a children's charity and I loved that I loved that aspect so when I married a London girl and moved here I got a job with a charity, which was supposedly for six months. Uh, well, I looked around for a job with an accountancy firm. That was <laughs> 25 years ago. Yeah. And I'm happily ensconced in the charity sector. And over all those years, I, there hasn't been a single charity that's reached me personally more than the Honeypot Children's Charity. So I'm privileged to be the director of income and communications there. Honeypot has a, a, a very interesting history. It started as a very small charity in Hampshire with a house there. And it was a house for disadvantaged children to give them a joy and appreciation of the countryside. Through that experience, young carers found us. So we started off caring for, for disadvantaged children. We, we found within that cohort there was a number of children that were also caring for a sick adult, a parent, and sometimes were caring for a sibling as well, or even both. And those children were of the highest need. And we realised at Honeypot that this is a need that we needed to specialise in and meet. Roll forward 22 years and the whole issue of young carers has come to the fore Mm. There's been very substantial investment by government in establishing the level of uh, caring by children. Basically, we care for children aged 5 to 12 mm. who are looking after a sick uh, uh, relative. And government established, um, spent a lot of time establishing the level of uh, caring and um coupled with an organisation called Nottingham University, which was commissioned by the BBC, yeah. who did a large-scale uh, study. They found an astounding uh, figure that in England and Wales there are 800,000 children looking after a sick adult or sibling. That's uh, incredible. An astounding figure. It, that was research done by... Was that BBC? You said uh, it was commissioned by the BBC and done by Nottingham University. They very much specialise in social research yeah. in this area, and it was uh, of interest to Honeypot because we were twenty-two years ahead of the curve. Yeah, because twenty-two years ago we were already caring for young carers. So over that time, we grew our services, and we can now be thought of as the National Young Carers uh, Organisation. It might be worth, if, if I can, please, Andrew, just to explain what a young carer is, because I'm exactly, using yeah. that I, term I, a lot. I was just going to go into it we to a perspective side, if we can deep dive into maybe an individual carer and maybe what their day-to-day life looks like and yes. just to go for a bit of a deep dive. Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, a young carer 
is a child who's looking on a voluntary basis after a sick parent, a mother or a father or a sibling or both. And those children are doing a whole range of jobs that uh, government uh, policy and government guidelines say they should not be doing uh, because a child of that age should not be doing heavy lifting. They should not be doing uh, shopping. They should not be dealing with finances. They shouldn't be looking after the personal care needs of a sick relative. And there's a whole range of other um, defined roles that children should not be doing. And that's precisely what these children are doing. Mm. And that's the, that's the shocking thing, that we have children as young as five um, caring for an adult and many of these young carers care for 30 hours a week or more. So it gives you an idea of what we're talking about. And many, many of these children come from very disadvantaged backgrounds. So it's layer upon layer of challenge and they need support. And if I just can very briefly explain why they need support, it, it puts the whole thing into perspective. For sure. Thank you, Andrew. So caring for... A child, uh, supporting a child that's providing caring helps to relieve the stress and anxiety that they feel. You know, as an adult, one can appreciate looking after a a sick uh, elderly parent, the stress and anxiety. Imagine what that's like for a child who's in a development stage of their life. Causes great stress and anxiety. These children are really the heroes of our society. That's what they are. They give, they basically sacrifice their childhood to look after a loved one. But they don't see it that way. When you talk to young carers, they never see that they're doing anything that different, oh, sure. that special. They don't do anything different. That's right. Yeah. They think that's what Which is very sad. Doing. Absolutely, Andrew. It's very, very sad. So what Honeypot does is we try to give them back their childhood. We don't try. We do give them back their childhood. We relieve their stress, their anxiety. We give them these happy childhood memories, which, you know, we're all blessed with. You know, they make the make us the people we are. We build our whole personality and life and these happy childhood memories. Those kids are deprived of that. And we come in and we give them that. We give them that through offering respite breaks in the most beautiful homes in uh, uh, Hampshire, in the New Forest, and in uh, Penny Bryn, which is in Powys, Mid Wales. And, the, and these are si- mostly their city, inner city kids that don't really have a chance to experience the pleasures of the countryside and to sleep under clean sheets mm. and have hot meals served to them. And here the children experience childhood. They have great fun. Both our homes are set in seven acres of beautiful countryside. And they do such things as tree spotting, um, uh, learning about pond life, building dens out in the in the forest, uh, playing on the zip wire, being out in the fresh air, just so, having fun. So good for their mental health as well, just that fresh air side. I know you said before we started the podcast that a lot of your um, kids that sign up are very, it's very urbanised. Right. All from inner cities, a lot of them, isn't it? That's and right. just talking more about that and the sacrifices and I suppose the situations firstly are a lot of these kids coming from backgrounds where alcoholism um, drug abuse is that the main percentage of uh, yes yes so there's there's been quite extensive research and one of the main issues 
for a lot of young carers is they're dealing with mental illness in an adult. And very sadly, the single largest predictor of the next generation experiencing mental health is that it's in the family. Mm. And that's a, that's a cycle that we try to support and try to reverse. So these young carers don't in turn um, develop deep-rooted, long-term health problems. Um, but they have the childhood, they build their confidence, their self-esteem, lower their anxiety and develop as, uh, you know, happy, productive, well-adjusted children. For sure. And just, I know there's a big correlation between young carers and, I suppose, grades at school. They can be quite affected and there is research done that they get quite lower grades due to the sacrifice they're making in their personal lives. Do Honeypot help out with that kind of stuff as well? I know they can't obviously change the education system, yes. but um, I suppose their the mental health and being out in in, in nature is, yes. is is the school education something you implement in those sites you have for yes. respite? Yeah, well, Andrew, I can see you've done your research because uh, you're 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 spot on. You you've hit the the target. Um, there's been extensive corroborated research to show that young carers score seven GCSE grades lower than the national average. That's quite That's devastating, quite really. Yeah. yeah. And underpinning that is that the children don't have that stability at home where they can concentrate on their studies. And it's the it's that it's not the academic it's not the development of their brains as such but it's it's supporting the social and emotional development because if you get that right all the studies show everything else follows you know a child that's confident that's happy that feels secure can progress naturally and normally and that's what these children lack they lack uh, confidence and self-esteem and we provide a whole range of programs called social and emotional active learning that uh, boosts that, that that develops their self-esteem their self-worth and that stability from which uh, comes a springboard to succeed in education and that's something we're immensely excited about it's a program that we started uh, a year ago it was um helped really we got it off the ground with the help of uh, an individual sponsor bank of america yeah uh, they really saw the value of this you know bank of america are great supporters of children mm. they've supported uh, a number of very worthy causes and th- and we just resonated with them and they came on board so it's, it's a big brand to be collaborating yeah, with it really is and and they, they bring all sorts of skills and not just uh, providing the finances. Of course, we're looking beyond that two-year partnership, how we keep it going, because this is a long-term programme. Just as we have been providing services for 22 years, we want to provide uh, these uh, social and emotional active learning programmes for the next 22 years, and that's our challenge. And, um, you know, as the Director of Communications, it's my job to raise the level of awareness an understanding of the life of a young carer. And the best way to do that is really to give you a couple of examples, if I may. Yeah, work away, okay. Thank you away. very much. Thank it's you. all yours. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. So I'm thinking of, um, and, and I would preface this by saying, every single young carer has a different story. And it's 
it's helpful to try to get a, a grip of that just to understand a couple of the stories but also keep in mind that they're all different they all have personal challenges different challenges in their lives so I'm thinking of a, a lovely happy young girl called Jessica Jessica Barr who looks after her mother Angelica who's 36 years old Angelica suffers uh, from blackouts very very severe blackouts she can have up to 20 um, in a day. And some of these are minor and 20. some of these are major. She can go into fitting. They can be life-threatening. So, you know, I started off by explaining to you that young carers do housework, heavy lifting. Others do things far more traumatic than that. What um, uh, Jessica does is life-saving. When Ange- An- Angelica has uh, a fit... It's essential that she's uh, administered. She's administered medication and she's uh, made safe that she doesn't choke, she doesn't bite. And she's had life-threatening fits. And Jessica has sourced the help. She's got the, uh, the professional medical service involved. She's been taught to seek help from an adult because she's just a child. And this is amazing because it's counterintuitive. You know, we teach our children not to speak to strangers, to be very guarded. She's been taught to, to, to how to speak to strangers. You know, if her mother has a life-threatening fit, uh, Jessica really has to stop an adult, explain what's going on, assess herself whether that adult's safe to talk to, and uh, save her life, basically. That's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing story. Yeah. And as we're dealing with children between 5 and 12, and you're saying probably one half of that age group probably isn't digital capable maybe yet to signing up for your services. So how yes. how do you get kids actually to sign up who are maybe on the younger part of the scale? Ah, yes, yes. Okay, so we have a number of ways of reaching out. Um, the first step we have is that Honeypot has built up over 22 years a whole network of referring organisations. So we don't actually go out and find the children. We're part of the whole children's service um, sector. And we are referred children who are young carers in need of our services by local care organisations, by social workers, by general practitioners, by school welfare officers, and a range of other children's services So that gives us that ability. But that's good and fine. That helps us to reach 3,500 children each year. But we know there's 800,000 there and we're ambitious to reach more and more and more. And there's some very hard-to-reach children. So we've been thinking long and hard and doing our uh, scoping of services. And we know that the way that uh, young kids like to communicate now is digitally through social media. We're developing a whole outreach service to reach those children and through that outreach service it's like any um, social media if it becomes popular they find us you know if it seems something that offers them good engagement for sure and that's how we're working to reach far more children to offer them our mainstream services and also to be connected uh, with them through our counsellors online and tell me I know government funding for kids' services has declined probably over the last 10 yeah. years, especially the first half of the century. Um, what, is, yes. what has it been like lately? 
So um, Honeypot has never, ever attracted government funding, which is uh, regrettable. Disappointing. Yeah, yeah, we, we depend yeah. on voluntary contributions. Yeah. We believe as the level of awareness and um, engagement with young carers grows, yeah. it will become a, a government uh, issue and government funding will follow. And uh, at our own level, we're trying our best to keep on raising that profile. That's why we're so grateful to come in today. Um, to speak to you and, no, and to reach out to, to more people um, to help them appreciate that this is something, you know, that many voices need to be calling for, not just us, that uh, um, these children are basically underpinning our whole care service. They're, those children are keeping families together. You know, you think of families keeping children together. It's the other way around here. These children are keeping the families together. And if these ch families dissolve the cost, the human cost is unbearable and the financial cost to society is monumental. Exactly. You know, a, a family that breaks up leads to all sorts of needs, social care needs, rehousing, um, special education, it invariably leads to medical needs, all exactly. sorts of things. The mental health Crosses, mental yeah, health, just health it's, crisis it's, absolutely it underpins that. It brings down the whole economy yeah. if it isn't, um, I suppose, if the awareness isn't, isn't constantly being marketed and, and looked after. So, like, it's, it's so many other external benefits that one mightn't even think of. Uh, yes. You know, that, that's the thing about it. And the, the charity, the part of the sector you're in, um, is there much competition there as well? I know, would you call it competition? I'm, I suppose yes. charity, I'm, I'm not most familiar with how competition or is that the right word for the charity uh, yes. sector no it's 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 a word that's uh, appropriate it is you think that in the not-for-profit sector um you wouldn't have competition but the competition really is for scarce resources there's so many worthy causes out there and we're all fighting for the charitable giving uh of um the members of our society so there's competition in that respect However, there's a, a much higher level of enlightenment in the charitable sector now more than ever that there's a need for charities to work together to achieve economies, to deliver better services, to ensure that there's no repetition of uh, resources. And Honeypot's embraced that model. You know, we always look to work with uh, partners and to make our services more uh, impactful and more meaningful by tapping into the expertise of other charities and similarly they do the same with us and that's very positive and that's something I'm sure your listeners would uh, um, support oh, definitely. and I'm sure it's, it's something uh, most all reasonable people would wish to see Exactly and I'm just saying for example for people in the private and profit industry like even the word partnership is really important because yes. I think the, I think the economy in general is kind of going towards a partnership type yes. rather than from what I'm in is agency client where you just have a retainer and you're paid a certain amount at the end of the month. Yes. I think that industry is changing to more partnerships um, working together and you're not tied in like a mobile contract anymore. You're actually working together. What can I do externally for my client and what can my client do for me as well? Whether that's organising collaborations with future audiences or, or future customers or charities that might be beneficial from my industry just saying I suppose I'm in the digital world um, 
like cyber bullying charities and connect people so I think I think the world in general probably in the next few years are going to go towards that collaborative and partnership because any like Richard Florida is, is probably my favorite researcher in America and he does a lot of work around companies and collaborations and the benefit for the economy and for the company itself just by collaborating with people in the same competitive space the the profits are not the profits probably not the right word but just the growth them country them companies see because of that it's just huge and they're just yes. not like no man is an island I suppose yes. so I just think that um, partnerships that charities are doing can really be transferred into many other different parts of the market how true uh, absolutely it's very much uh, our thinking and it's the thinking of many in the sector I mean we have uh, a number of partnerships we're very very proud of and we've all benefited from. We have a partnership with a specialist educational charity called ASDAN, and they provide the educational input for our SEAL program, social and emotional active learning programs. We obviously are the ones that have the expertise to deliver it, and we have the target um, audience, the, the children, to deliver it to. We have the resources, the, the beautiful homes and the network so we use all those resources we have to combine with the resources and organize educational expertise and resources as Dan have to benefit children. And that's what we're both about. We're both about benefiting children. So it makes perfect sense We pull resources. We have another uh, partnership with an organization called Chicks. Mm. They offer a similar service, but not the same service. And they go uh, with children older than us. So we work to create a, a cohort of 12-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds who are facing um, a very challenging time in their life. It's called transition. They're transitioning from primary to secondary school. And that, that can be an anxious time for any child. But imagine a child that's looking after, you know, a, a parent with multiple sclerosis who needs 30 hours of care. They are absolutely terrified. How are they going to cope with the higher uh, challenges of uh, higher education and still care? So what we do is we prepare them. We prepare them uh, as 11 and 12 year olds for that transition to have the resources, the skills uh, to cope with it. And then our partners, Chicks, take them along the journey in the next year of that transition. And that's a partnership that neither of the, the two organisations could deliver without the other. And that's another example of the, the, the thinking that's spreading like wildfire. And it's encouraged by donors. It's encouraged mm. by social commentators. It's encouraged by strategists, by um, social planners. And we, we, we're, we're with that. We're all with it. It's the it's a, it's a way that... Uh, a society developed by cooperation, by mutual working. Anthony, thanks a lot for coming in. and Andrew, thank you for inviting no, us. It's very grateful. It's, you're, you're doing wonderful work and I wish the best of luck for Honeypot. And I don't, I think you'll be hearing from me fairly soon because uh, ah. it's such warming work you're doing. So I can't thank you enough and thanks, thanks again for coming in. Best of luck with everything. Thank you very much.